you know, we have to remember that uh, Hebrews is a letter, and the writer is presenting the case that faith in Jesus Christ is better than what's provided for in the law. That's the bottom line here. And so all these points do overlap naturally, and uh, some of them need to be reiterated. And we, we need to hear things many times, but, but that's why all that overlapping. But I want to back up just a little bit. We uh, saw that Christ's priesthood is better than Aaron's because it belongs to a better order, that of Melchizedek. That was chapter 7. And then in chapter 8, um, it's administered under a better covenant, which was the new covenant. And so now in chapter 9, we see that Christ's priesthood is superior because it's administered from a better sanctuary. That was last week. And so in the previous chapters, the writer of of chapter 9, the previous verses, the writer gives a strong contrast between the old covenant and the new. And in both, blood plays a central role. It's, It's a vivid picture of sacrificial death. With the old covenant, the They had bloody sacrifices of goats and bulls and rituals and regulations and commands of the law and all being restricted by limitations. With the new, we have the blood of Christ who offered himself without blemish to God in order to cleanse our conscience from dead works to serve the living God, verse 14. And so that's where we left off last week. So now, um, in verses 15 through 28, the writer once again compares the old and the new covenant, and this time showing that Jesus is a better mediator. And in fact, verse 15 is a key verse, uh, and we're going to base our outline or our points from this verse. We'll touch on all the others, but we're going to follow verse 15 for the flow. Verse 15 reads, And for this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant, by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. So we're going to look at uh, what is a mediator, the first part of verse 15. Then our second point is why is Jesus Christ a better mediator? Still the first part of verse 15 and then the middle part. And then verse uh, the third one, for whom is Jesus a better mediator? The last part of verse 15. So look, let's look at what is a mediator. Uh, the first part of verse 15 says, and for this reason. What reason? Everything up to this point, and in particular, 11 through 14, which, which was a section he had just finished. He is a mediator of the new covenant. So the question is, what is a mediator? A mediator is one who mediates or acts or is a go-between or an intercessor It's one who reconciles opposing sides in order to bring about a settlement and in order to influence uh, a disagreement between two parties with the goal of resolving a matter or a dispute. And in a contemporary sense for today, a mediator can be a defense attorney. And many times in court, to avoid a costly trial, a mediator can be appointed instead of a judge who will hear both sides of the parties, and then that mediator will make a final decision on behalf of both parties. And the agreement to have a mediator comes with the stipulation that his or her decision is final and all parties must accept it. The goal, again, is to reconcile or to bring about a compromise between the two parties. Well, we see through the scriptures that God has a dispute with us, with mankind, because of sin. 
The Bible describes sin as transgression of the law of God or lawlessness, 1 John 3, 4 tells us, and rebellion against God, Deuteronomy chapter 9, Joshua 1 tells us that God hates sin, and sin stands between all of us and God. Romans 3.10 says that there is none righteous, no, not one. All human beings are sinners by virtue of birth, by the sin that we have inherited from Adam, as well as sin that we commit on a daily basis. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The only penalty for sin is death. Romans 6.23 just told us that. Not only physical death, but also eternal death, as described in Revelation chapter 20. The rightful punishment for sin is at an eternity in hell. Nothing we could do on our own would be enough or sufficient to mediate between ourselves and God. No amount of good works or law-keeping makes us righteous enough to stand before a holy God. Isaiah Isaiah 64, the whole chapter, Romans 3.20 tells us that. Galatians 2.16. So we are destined to spend eternity in hell. We are doomed if we try to represent ourselves alone to God. By ourselves, salvation from sin is impossible. But yet, there is hope. 1 Timothy 2.5 tells us that there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. The Greek word for mediator here, used in in this verse and also in Hebrews 9.15, has the meaning of one who unites parties or who mediates for peace. In both these verses, The Greek word used for mediator doesn't imply that Jesus was a mediator in the contemporary sense. Uh, In other words, he didn't seek a compromise between two parties. But here the term describes his function as one who was used by God to enact a new covenant, which established a new relationship between God and man, but entirely on God's terms, because there is no compromising with God or his word. So Jesus is Christ is called the mediator because in man's behalf, he's the only one who satisfies the claims God put upon man. And we see Jesus as a mediator. We saw that in chapter 8 of Hebrews, and we'll see it again in chapter 12. So what does all this mean? It means that if we want to come to God, we must go to Jesus Christ. He alone is the mediator between God and man. We can't go to another man. We can't go to the saints, as in the Catholic religion. We can't go to Mary. We can't go to any form of religion. There's only one mediator, the man Christ Jesus. He is the only one that can bring us in touch with God. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. So when we come to God, Jesus is the one who stands in the gap between us. And he stands, he holds on to God, and he holds on to us, and he bridges that gap that we have. God touched man through Jesus Christ, who was in the form of God and thought it not robbery to be equal with God. He came in the likeness of man. Philippians 2, 6, and 8 tells us that. 
And he did that so he might be able to touch us. And in turn, we can now touch God through the mediator. So he stands in the gap holding on to God and us, and he is the one that bridges that gap. He is the mediator. By his death, Jesus satisfied God's holy justice. Before God's throne of grace, Jesus represents those who have placed their trust in him. He is our mediator, our one and only mediator, and this tells us that we don't have to be doomed or destined to hell for eternity. Someday we will all face God, but as believers in Jesus Christ, we will do so as totally forgiven sinners because Jesus Christ is our mediator. And so why is Jesus Christ a better mediator? Well, back to the first part of verse 15, we read that the obvious answer is because Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant. He is the mediator of an entirely new agreement or testament or covenant. Remember, Jesus, as our mediator, was used by God to enact a new covenant, which established a new relationship between God and man, but entirely on God's terms. The new covenant is that Jesus has died as a ransom to set us free from the sin committed under the first covenant, which is lawlessness and rebellion against God by the virtue of sin we inherited from Adam, as well as the sin we commit on a daily basis. Christ's payment on the cross also accomplished redemption for those under the first covenant. Ephesians 4, 8 through 10 says that when Jesus ascended on high, he led captivity captive. And it's speaking of those who died in faith, believing the promise of God about the Messiah to come to make atonement for their sins. And I like what one commentator said, every sin offering made in faith under the law was an IOU cashed at the cross. Jesus is a better mediator of the new covenant by means of his death. On the cross, he exchanged our sin for his righteousness, 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us. And it's because of our better mediator that we're now able to stand before God clothed in the righteousness of Christ himself. So Jesus Christ is our better mediator because he's the only means of salvation from our sin, and he's the mediator of the new covenant. Look at this middle part of verse 15. It continues to say, by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant. And now verses 16 through 26 of chapter 9 in Hebrews gives us further evidence of this good news. Look at verses 16 and 17. For where there is a testament, there must also of necessity necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is in force after men are dead, since it has no power at all while the testator lives. So this speaks of the necessity of death. The word testament means a will or a bequest, a covenant or an arrangement. So a testament or a will is of no power unless the testator dies. And it'll only take effect while the person who made it is no longer. So it's with the new covenant, the gospel. If Jesus did not die, then the covenant is of no effect. It's null and void. Jesus, who is the great testator of the new covenant, he did die. There's no question about that. It's it's an historical fact. His testament, his will, the new covenant is now valid. It was certified by his precious blood 
by his atoning death. I like what Swindoll said about this. He said, this new covenant mediated by none other than Jesus Christ was signed, sealed, and delivered in blood. And not just any blood, but the blood of the spotless Lamb of God, who alone is able to take away the sin of the world. John one twenty nine. But our better mediator didn't remain in the grave. After three days, he rose, and today he lives to make sure that his testament, this new covenant, is fully carried out. First Corinthians fifteen fourteen, Paul said, If Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, and your faith is also empty. And then down in verse 15, he said, If Christ is not risen, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. So the scriptures are very clear that Jesus did die, and he rose again, And this made his testament or his will valid in full effect. This means that our inheritance and every promise and blessing given to us by the new covenant is 100% guaranteed. Jesus Christ is our better mediator because his death and resurrected life is the assurance or the guarantee that everything bequeathed by the new covenant will be given to everyone who trusts in him as Lord and Savior. Look at verses 18 through 22. Therefore, not even the first covenant was dedicated without blood. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats with water, scarlet wool, and hyssop, and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you. Then likewise he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. And without shedding blood, without shedding of blood, there is no remission. These verses here speak of the necessity of blood for the old covenant and for remission of sins. And Donna gave us uh, details on establishing the old covenant. And Noreen gave us the details on the rites and rituals of the priests in the tabernacle as they upheld the old covenant. The first covenant was dedicated with blood and virtually every part of the sacrificial system under the law of Moses was touched by blood in some way or another. There were very few exceptions for purification or cleansing by water and fire. Numbers 31 gives us that. And that's why verse 22 says almost all things are purified with blood. But death and blood were necessary to the old covenant. And the end of verse 22 says, without shedding of blood, there is no remission. The word remission means deliverance, forgiveness, or liberty. It also carries the meaning to release one's sins from the sinner. The animal sacrifices gave the Old Testament sinners relief from guilt of sin, but it didn't release them from the power of sin in their lives. Um, in, in the movie, The Nativity, one of my favorite Christmas movies, there's a scene where Herod, the priest, and the priest, he's with them, is going through the ritual of transferring his sins to the animals. Now, I don't think Herod really did that, but it doesn't matter. It's a movie. But it's a good picture of relief from the guilt of sin through religion and rituals with no effect on the power of sin in a person's life. But the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ, the shedding of his blood as punishment for our sin, gives us, as born-again believers, not only forgiveness of our sins and deliverance from the guilt of our sins, but also cleansing or purification from our sin. Hebrews 1.3 tells us that Jesus purged our sins. 
His blood gives us freedom or liberty from the power sin once had over us. Verse 14 tells us that the blood of Christ will cleanse our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. The Old Testament sacrifices brought about ceremonial cleansing for the body, but these could never reach into the conscience and the heart of a person. Only the blood of Christ purges the conscience and gives a person a new heart. Noreen shared that with us last week. Then it changes our lives to serve the Lord because, and if you were in Sunday morning studies, Xavier said, our hearts are now calibrated to the word of God. The blood of Christ brings a new covenant, a new heart, and a new life. And I don't know about you, but I think that sounds like a win-win to me. The scripture is clear that there is no forgiveness or remission of sin without the shedding of blood. All Jewish ceremonies were dead works in comparison to a living relationship with God through Jesus Christ under the new covenant. Those without a personal relationship with Jesus Christ think that sin is remitted or forgiven by time or by religion, by good works, by living decent lives, or by death. The blood of Jesus is the only perfect sacrifice that satisfied God's holy justice for the remission of sin. Spurgeon, in his sermon, The Bloodshedding, he began the sermon by presenting three fools. He said, The first is a soldier wounded on the battlefield. The medic comes to the soldier, and immediately the soldier wants to know everything about the rifle and the soldier that shot him. The second fool is a ship captain whose ship is about to go under a terrible storm. The captain is not at the wheel of the ship trying to guide it through the crashing waves. He's in his room studying the charts, trying to determine where the storm came from. And the third fool is a man who is sick and dying with sin, about to go under the waves of God's justice, yet is deeply troubled about the origin of evil. And Spurgeon's point is being that we need to look at the solution and not the problem. The solution to our problem of sin is the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is our better mediator because the shedding of his blood satisfied God's holy justice for the remission of sin. His blood cleanses and purifies us from sin, and it gives us a new heart to serve the living God. Look at verses 23 to 26. Therefore, it was necessary that the copies of the things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has not entered the holy place made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Not that he should offer himself often as a high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood of another, He then would have to suffer, often since the foundation of the world. But now, once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Because the shedding of Jesus' blood is God's solution to man's problem of sin, Jesus is the better sacrifice for the better sanctuary and the new covenant. With the earthly sanctuary, which was only a copy of the heavenly one, it was acceptable to be purified with imperfect sacrifices. But for the heavenly sanctuary, only a perfect offering would be acceptable, which is the perfect, pure blood of Jesus Christ. The high priest took another creature's blood into the Holy of Holies, but Jesus took his own blood 
into God's presence once and for all. He went directly into the presence of God the Father in heaven. And the best part is that he went there for us. Jesus' sacrifice was made on earth, but his ministry continues as our better mediator and high priest in heaven in the presence of God. Romans 8.34 tells us that Jesus is at the right hand of God and makes intercession for us. Hebrews 7.25 says, Therefore he is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. And Revelations 12.10 says that he defends us against the accuser of the brethren, God's people, speaking of Satan. You know, ladies, when we go through difficulties, when those, what I call burdens of the heart, those things that weigh our hearts down at times, those things that, that uh, we pray for continually, uh, sometimes we cry over them to the Lord. When those things become overwhelming, we would be wise women to go to the throne of grace and mercy to find help in time of need. We learned that in Hebrews 4. Because our intercessor is there waiting for us to come to him. He intercedes for us, and we will find his help in time of need, as the scripture says. And so Jesus is our better mediator because he is the better sacrifice for the better sanctuary and the new covenant, and he now intercedes and defends us before the presence of God. And so the third question is, for whom is Jesus a better mediator? Back to verse 15, the latter part says that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. And so the question is, who is called? The answer is simple. Those who trust and accept Jesus Christ as their better mediator and who accept the new covenant, which is the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Whenever someone hears the gospel message of Jesus Christ, they have been called. And at that point, they have the choice to respond to that call by either accepting or rejecting the truth of the gospel. And if they reject the gospel, then they remain in their sin and will remain there until they accept the Lord. And if they don't accept the gospel message and they die in their sin, they will be eternally separated from God and will spend eternity in the everlasting fires of hell, prepared for devil, the devil and his angels, as we read in Revelation Romans 2, 5, and 8 says, But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each one according to his deeds. Eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality, but to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath. So back to Hebrews 9, let's look down at verse 27. And verse 27 gives us a warning to those who refuse the call or reject the call by not accepting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. The first part of verse 27 says, And it is appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment. We're all going to die one day. And this is the one thing that every human being has in common. And as Xavier says, we will die right on time unless the Lord returns in our lifetime. But once we give our last breath, after that, everything's fixed and settled, and we will answer for our doings at the judgment seat of Jesus Christ. Second Corinthians 5.10 tells us that. 
You know, being raised a Catholic, um, we were taught that souls go to purgatory, a place or a state of temporary purifying or punishment or suffering where one can atone or make amends for sin before going to heaven. Friends and family can light candles and masses can be held, all to help expedite someone out of purgatory and into heaven. Well, there's absolutely no scriptural basis for this doctrine. Not only is it completely unscriptural, but it denies the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross and everything that the writer of Hebrews has been discussing. Jesus died for our sin. Our judgment fell upon him, and nothing else or no one else can atone for sins for anyone, especially after death. There's no prayer for the dead, no purging away of sin after death. There are no second chances beyond the grave. And if it were so, then Jesus Christ died in vain. So now is the time to choose Jesus Christ, because after we die, we simply face the judgment. So verse 27 makes it clear. One life, one death, and then everything is weighed and judged by Jesus Christ. So back to verse 15, the last part. It says, "May so that we may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. So for those who do choose Jesus Christ before death, they receive the promise of an eternal inheritance. And this inheritance is eternal life with Jesus Christ in heaven. This is part of Christ's last will and testament spelled out in the new covenant. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. John 10.28 said, I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. And in 1 Peter uh, 1, 3 and 4, Peter affirmed that God has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. No fluctuation in the economy can ever reduce this inheritance. It's not subject to review by the courts or to debate by squabbling family members. No amount of suffering or trials can diminish or change what God has in store for those who choose Jesus Christ now. God's will and testament is valid, and our priceless eternal inheritance is guaranteed by the death, the blood, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's God's promise to us. Verse 15 here tells us. So now let's look at verse 28. We're given another promise and a hope. Verse 28 says, So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. Jesus bore the sins of many, but not all will accept him. Isaiah 53, 3-11 tells us. But those who have chosen to accept Jesus Christ have the hope and the promise of his return. He will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. The focus of Jesus' first coming was to deal with the sin problem through his atoning sacrifice. But now, having dealt with the sin problem, he will come again apart from sin for the salvation of his people. And and this has the sense of rescuing, rescuing his people. In the Old Testament, uh, the old, it was promised or, or foretold that the Messiah's uh, first coming, and he came. 
Now the New Testament promises his second coming. And in verse 28, it says that he will appear a second time. In the book of Acts, chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, it gives us the account of Jesus' ascension. And, and while he was ascending, the angel talking to the, speaking to the disciples said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. The promise of Christ's second appearing is as definite as his first appearance. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17, Paul wrote, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive will remain, and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. This is the rapture of the church the second at the second coming of Jesus Christ. The return or second appearing of Christ is part of our Christian faith. It's what we put our trust and our faith in. He will come a second time to finalize salvation for those who are looking for him eagerly and are waiting for him. Eagerly here has a meaning to expect fully, to look for, to await expectantly and patiently. Speaking of his return, Jesus said in Luke 21, verses 25 to 28, And there will be signs in the sun, in the moon, and in the stars, and on the earth, distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth, for the powers of heavens will be shaken. They will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with great, with power and great glory, not great glory, okay? (laughs) Power and great glory. Now, when these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. So then down in verses 34 to 36, Jesus continued, But take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing drunkenness and cares of this life, and that day come on you unexpectedly. For it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch, therefore, and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. Jesus Christ returned for the church, the rescuing of his children, will be the culmination of our faith. And for those who are not looking for him, it will be a day of terror. Notice that we see Christ's past appearance, which put away sin, verse 26 of Hebrews 9, his present appearance in heaven for us in verse 24, and then his future appearance to take us to glory in verse 28. Jesus Christ, our better mediator, has taken care of, of our past, our present, and our future. We serve an awesome mediator. Jesus Christ is a better mediator for those who have accepted the gospel message and have chosen Jesus Christ, who have received the promise of an eternal inheritance, and for those who are looking for his second coming to finalize their salvation. So we answered three questions. What is a mediator? Mediator is one who mediates or one who acts as a go-between, an intercessor or peacemaker who represents opposing sides in order to bring about a settlement, in order to resolve a dispute. 
God has a dispute with mankind, and Jesus is our only mediator. And so why is Jesus a better mediator? Our second question, Jesus Christ is our better mediator because he is the only means of salvation from our sin, and he is the mediator of the new covenant. Jesus Christ is our better mediator because his death and resurrected life is the assurance or the guarantee that everything bequeathed by the new covenant will be given to everyone who trusts in him as Lord and Savior. And Jesus Christ is our better mediator, a lot to say, (laughs) because the shedding of his blood satisfied God's holy justice for the remission of sin. His blood cleanses and purifies us from sin and gives us a new heart to serve the living God. And Jesus is our better mediator because he is the better sacrifice for the better sanctuary and the new covenant. And he now intercedes and defends us before the presence of God. And our third question, for whom is Jesus a better mediator? Jesus is the better mediator for those who've accepted the gospel message and have chosen Jesus Christ, who have received the promise of an eternal inheritance, and for those who are looking for his second coming to finalize their salvation. As our better mediator, Jesus Christ did what the law could never do and what religions and man can never do. So there are two important questions that remain. First, is Jesus Christ my better mediator? Is he your better mediator? In other words, do we truly trust and put our faith in what he's already done for us? He took the penalty for our sin. Do we really get that? I mean, do we really, really get that and have a heart knowledge of that? Do we trust and put our faith in what he does for us now as our mediator in the presence of God? And do we trust and put our faith in what he will do for us, the promise of an eternal inheritance? And the second question is, are we eagerly awaiting his return to finalize our salvation. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for you are so good. You have given us a better mediator. Thank you, Lord, for Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for our salvation and the cleansing and purging of sin that once had a hold over us, power over us. Thank you, Father, that we don't have to be subject to the power of sin anymore. Father, we thank you so much for your blood and how you died for each and every one of us here tonight. Father, uh, thank you for your intercession, for Jesus interceding for us and defending us, Lord. Father, help us to remember that we can come to Jesus Christ anytime in help of need, and you will give the grace, Father, from your throne. Lord, again, we just ask that you would help us Give us that trust and that faith in Jesus Christ as our better mediator and help us, Lord, to eagerly wait his return. And so we praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.